Whether you're a computer professional or a computer novice, welcome to the Adwa Technologies Podcast. Chronicles in Computing! I'm your host, Adrian Walsh. In tonight's show, we take a look at online shopping, the benefits and risks, as well as how any business, no matter how small or large, can start selling online. We then discuss the QWERTY keyboard, the origin, and why we are stuck with such an inefficient piece of IT equipment. And finally, something to spark some controversy, the nightmares of calling the IT help desk. Tonight, on Chronicles in Computing. I'm your host, Adrian. So let's start tonight about online shopping. I love listening to the Weird Al Yankovic's parody of the Backstreet Boys song, I Want It That Way, simply called eBay. He sings about the plethora of junk you can buy on the world's biggest auction site, ebay.com. Even a tissue used by Dr. Dre, what I bought on eBay. Love the rhyme. I mention eBay as an example because that's the site that many people, including myself, first used to dabble into the online shopping experience. The second thing that makes eBay a good mention for online shopping is the rating system that buyers and sellers use to rate each other. So when something goes wrong, there's a reputation system that you can trust to see whom to deal with and not to deal with. Think of the small village in the country of England, maybe, back in the 1800s. Small village where everyone knows each other's dirty laundry and dirty secrets and whom to deal with, not to deal with. And with the internet and the billions of people around the world now, we have a global village, so to speak, to deal with. So we have to increase the trust with everyone we're dealing with. So besides our example of eBay, there are now many sites on the internet where you can buy things, whether it be goods or services, um, books from Amazon, shopping from your supermarket with the online store, cheap airline fares from the airlines themselves or even clothes that you can get quicker than a trip down to the big box retailer. In whom do you trust when buying merchandise and stuff on the internet? I know that there's many sites out there that look legitimate but will steal your money from your credit card and never provide the product or give you something substandard. Most places prefer to deal in credit cards for payment. I don't think I've bought anything ever online with with a check, you know. So the solution here, yes, is to pay by credit card, Visa or MasterCard, the behemoths that provide most of the world's credit card services, although I don't count American Express as hardly anywhere in Australia accepts it. If you don't receive what you've paid for, simply contact your card company and ask for what's called a chargeback. Or if you want more surety and certainty with your payments, use PayPal or another payment service. PayPal, of course, is owned by eBay, so I won't go into that. But it's easy within reason, of course, for customers to lodge disputes and then to get their money refunded. As long as you take enough precautions such as using different passwords for each site you go to or sites which allow you to sign in with Facebook or Gmail or other logins, it's 
very safe to use. Also, it's recommended that you have an up-to-date antivirus software on your computer. Maybe we can talk about that in another episode. The final tip is that when you're doing online shopping, internet browser software in which the website is displayed should display the picture of a padlock either at the top or the bottom of the site. This means that there's a form of encryption taking place and it makes it much safer for you. So now, what about small entities who have a few items that they'd like to put in online, either new or secondhand, or even services. You can either choose to implement an e-commerce or online store option on your own website, or choose to use a third-party service. At the moment, I'm playing around with a service called Shopify, which is uh, shopify.com, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com. Note that I do not have any podcast sponsors at the time of the recording of this episode, but Shopify is a very intuitive site and you can easily link it with payment companies such as PayPal. When starting out, PayPal provides an um, easy way of dealing with customer payments and removes all those headaches that you may have. If you have some secondhand stuff to sell, I'd prefer just going on eBay if your items are easy to post. For bigger items in Australia, you can't go past gumtree.com.au. Even though it's owned by eBay, it has no fees. And for the basic services, that is just posting an ad or two, uh, people can search for these ads easily, completely free. And Gumtree is an Australian version of Craigslist, which is still, of course, even for us, a, an excellent site for buying and selling and completely free to use, craigslist.com. And for businesses and entities doing an online store, like with bank fees, the service and transaction fees are something which can really add up, so you'll need to do your research there. So it was quite interesting to do some online research about how some individuals have created a business by themselves and for themselves and made money really quickly and easily with outsourcing the menial tasks overseas and also using a concept called drop shipping, where they never have to touch any physical stock. It's basically um, inserting an extra middleman to dip into the pie, which is yourself, and you can make more money with next to no effort. So maybe I'll try that in future, but I don't really feel passionate about shifting junk around the world that's just going to end up in landfill anyway. So I'm focusing more on the service side of things, of which the podcast is just the start of it. Alrighty, it's time for us to have a talk about touch typing. I don't know if you have a job which requires you being maybe a knowledge worker, to type really quickly, but I've certainly had that expectation in the jobs where I've worked. The computer keyboard of the modern age is one with the keys laid out in a pattern known as QWERTY. Q-W-E-R-T-Y. Quoting now from the Wikipedia article on QWERTY, QWERTY is a keyboard layout for Latin script. The name comes from the order of the first six keys 
on the top left letter row of the keyboard, Q-W-E-R-T-Y. The QWERTY design is based on a layout created for the Scholes and Glidden typewriter and sold to Remington in 1873. So this is what we're stuck with, with the modern technology of today, whether it be for doing a job to be a busy bee, up to trolling your friends and foes on social media. The companies relying on speedy touch typists, I won't refer to them as secretaries, but however, they were trained up on the QWERTY layout on the manual typewriter, later the electric typewriter, and there was no going back from there. Alternatives to QWERTY, though, are much more efficient, and yes, they do exist. The most common being the Rovrac layout. I think that's how you say it, but it's D-V-O-R-A-K. Replace the uh, QWERTY with those letters. So I'll provide an image of the layouts of QWERTY and Dravrak on the website after this podcast tonight so you can see the differences and judge for yourself on the efficiency of those. Now, getting quicker at typing, well, you could bring your customized keyboard to your workplace, plug that in and start trying to use it. There really isn't much point. In the book titled The First 20 Hours by the author Josh Kaufman, he documents his attempts in one of the chapters at learning new skills of uh, the Dravrak keyboard layout. While I suggest you can have a read of the chapter to see if it's worth trying, I definitely thought it was not worth my time, although I did make a half-hearted attempt at ripping off the keys off a spare keyboard and rearranging them into the Dravrak layout. Then I got bored. The more efficient method is to improve your QWERTY touch typing skills. I tried a couple of sites and pieces of software, but the easiest to use and to sign up for that I found was www.ratatype, that's R-A-T-A-T-Y-P-E dot com. I've dramatically improved my touch typing skills, which were previously quite rusty. You can also buy a keyboard known as a mechanical keyboard. To save money, computer companies have just given people these soft plastic keyboards with crappy keys, just horrible to use. The computers, especially the old IBMs, used to always come with mechanical keyboards. So these ones allow you to listen to a very pleasant clicking noise with the press of each key. And this click magically reduces the amount of mistakes due to the mental trick of the sound. And it just goes click, click, and it gives your brain certainty that you've actually hit the key. That's what I found in, in my experience anyway. And if you want even more efficiency and an ultra-nerdy solution, so jargon warning, just install some scripts and have the computer insert the typing of the text for you. That's something I've done, of course, in, uh, in service desk jobs where I can press a couple of keys and it types out a few paragraphs of, of repetitive text. 
And yeah, but for practicality, just stick with the humble and ancient QWERTY keyboard. And finally, we finish off episode three with nightmares of calling the IT help desk. Whether it be an internal IT help desk for the workers of a government department, corporation or other entity, or a helpline companies provide for the tech support to the public, like a telecoms company, people often dread calling the IT speed dial. And the workers providing the support on the other end of the line dread picking up those calls as well. You may be familiar with the British TV series The IT Crowd, which documents over four seasons a basement IT department supporting a lawyer's office, and most of their job is simply answering the phone and asking the employee, IT, have you tried turning it off and on again, or is it plugged in? And this is the bread and butter of the IT service desk or call centre jobs. Exactly this. If you're the person calling the tech support... The last thing you want is a person with no confidence in their role, sounding robotic because they're reading word for word from a screen, or being rude, especially behind a phone because you can't see them, although you can hear the tone of voice, which is the dead giveaway. For the person working in the IT call centre, they often juggle the low staffing levels, possibly unrealistic statistical measures, KPIs, which are key performance indicators, maybe low pay for the stress of the particular role, as well as the frustrated callers who may have been waiting on the line a long time to get through. Working for IT service desk for quite a while, I know that trying to use phrases such as I understand or other types of empathy, while it can sometimes help to soothe the caller, words like this can become overused and feel fake for the worker to keep using. The main point is ensuring the the end customer on the phone actually understands through the clarification that they know what the hell is going on with their issue or request. Regarding outsourcing, I don't really think this comes into it that much because you can have the same problems wherever a call center or service desk is based. So service desk and help desk workers stop sounding like a robot and reading from a set of questions like a TV interviewer or a, um, some sort of journalist. The worst thing from my experience as a customer is calling up an internet service provider, speaking to some sort of overseas-based customer service agent who's reading from a script and having to repeat the technical steps I've already performed. So this is when encountering things like slow internet and being forced to reboot my modem, which I've done just before calling, can feel like an absolute pain. This comes back to capturing the customer experience and words by listening to the customer you're interacting with for the, the service desk workers. So listen to the words the person with the IT problem is talking about. The words give a clue to the problem at hand or for what is being requested. It was in the famous self-help book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, that one of his habits, number five, includes seek first to understand, then to be understood. Fortunately, there are concepts out there 
to improve IT service delivery, such as Knowledge Centred Support, or KCS for short. This is literally a tool to improve IT between the end user or customer and the support centre. You can either Google KCS or have a look at the website www.serviceinnovation.org for more information there. It's quite a good resource. So IT and customer service is something that could be talked about for hours on end, so I might do a follow-up in a future episode. And that wraps things up for episode three. The podcast has now come to a close. Please visit www.adwa.net.au. See you next time.